Hey everybody, it's Chris. Welcome or welcome back to the Beyond Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this conversation, would you head to our socials at Beyond Church AU, either on Instagram or Facebook and give us a follow. That's the easiest way to share this content with a friend who might find it helpful. And while you're at it, you can click the link in our description to sign up to our email newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay up to date on everything that's going on around here at Beyond. But in the meantime, I hope this following conversation inspires you to take your next step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So great to have you here with us tonight. Hey, have you ever um, have you ever got to a point in life where um, where where one decision becomes another decision that becomes another decision, and every decision you made like along the way like made total sense, like it made total sense to you, it was justifiable, and like oh yeah, and then you you get to a point, and then someone asks you like, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, you start to realize, like, ooh, although these decisions made so much sense along the way, where I've arrived at is not where I want to be. It's not helpful. It's not healthy. In fact, I don't even know how these decisions could have made sense to me um, along the way. <clears throat> Some of you are wondering why there's a spatula in my hand. Um, that's because I've made a lot of these um, decisions in my life, and I've just made a lot of these times where I've made, like, a whole bunch of decisions, uh, ended up somewhere I didn't want to be. One of them one of them I wanted to share with you um, tonight, and it happened. Um, it happened right like before I right before I got married. I was still living at home with my mum and dad and my brother, and um, I don't even know what what day of the week it was. But I just like I kind of got up, um, went to the gym to work out, and then kind of came home. And I don't I don't know where I had to be. I don't know what I had to do. All I know is that I had a limited amount of time, and I'd kind of like cut it fine. You're like I got time. I didn't have time. So that now I had to really quickly like make something to eat, have a shower, get out the door. And so I went to my go-to meal, like scrambled eggs, because who, d- who doesn't love scrambled eggs? I guess if you're vegan. But anyway, so I'd made scrambled, I was making scrambled eggs, and I'd like, I just got the pan like nice and hot, and then I just like tipped, tipped the scrambled eggs onto it. It was like hot. It was like one of those small fry pans with the handle, you know? And I'd literally just kind of started to like, you know, do the scrambling in the pan. I don't know what you call it, but the scrambling. And then you know the little light on the fry pan? The little light went off. And so again... Some of you are super logical people. Some of you would have been like, oh, well, the circuit just tripped, Chris. You've got to go and reset the circuit. You weren't in my shoes. You don't understand. It was time pressure. I was like, okay, we've got to find another PowerPoint that works. So I removed it from that PowerPoint, tried it to the one next to it. It's not working. Okay, must be on the same circuit. So then I went around the house until I found a PowerPoint that worked. Problem solved. We can resume cooking our eggs. So I've got the counter. I'm cooking my eggs, right? They're perfect. They're just at the right moment. And I just... I go to pick the fry pan up, and I'm just about ready to scrape them into my plate. Just about ready when I hear this behind me, this, <coughs> and I turn around, and it's my brother. What's up, man? <coughs> what are you doing? As if it isn't obvious, right? Like, <laughs> I'm cooking scrambled eggs, man. What do you think I'm doing? And then he says this. There's no word of a lie. I didn't make this story up. He's like, yeah, but what are you doing cooking them in the bathroom? Because I had, for whatever reason, tried PowerPoint after PowerPoint after PowerPoint after PowerPoint, and I had got into my bathroom cooking scrambled eggs. And at the time, I was like, killing two birds with one stone, right? I need to eat, and I need to shower. I can eat in the room. I have to shower. Less place to move around, okay? Now, I promise there was a point to that story. But, but, before I get to the point of that story, we're launching this new series, as Riley kind of said tonight, Guardrails. And, um, and if you don't know much about guardrails, if... Uh, the little game we played at the start is perhaps the most you've ever thought about traffic signs in your life. Um, here's what you need to know about guardrails. Is guardrails are a system designed to keep vehicles straying into dangerous areas, right? 
Um, and here's some more information about guardrails for you in case you haven't thought about it a whole bunch. Typically, they're found um, in, in probably three main areas. Uh, they're found on, uh, they're found on uh, highways so that they kind of like divide the median so cars don't uh, move into oncoming traffic. They're found on bridges so you don't drive off the bridge. And they're found uh, on curving, on sweeping corners so that as the kind of curve like gradually moves, there's a guardrail to be like, hey, you should, you should kind of move with the corner and not follow the trajectory of the road. And guardrails have, um, have two primary purposes, okay? Their roles are to direct traffic and protect you from going off course, to direct you and keep you on the road, but also to protect you from moving off course. And uh, I'm going to talk a lot about guardrails over the next couple of weeks, but here's, here's one of the big things with guardrails is they're designed to minimize damage. I don't know if you've, you've ever thought about this before. Again, you're thinking about guardrails so much. Like, how have I never thought about guardrails this much before? But they're designed, they're guardrails are never placed in areas of danger. They're always placed in areas of safety, right? It would be not helpful at all to be driving along a bridge, drive off the bridge, and then hit a guardrail on your way down as you fall into the ocean, right? You want the guardrail in the area of safety to protect you from greater damage. And sure, if you hit into the guardrail, you're going to get a little bit of damage along the way but you're not, hopefully, not going to get the same amount of damage as if the guardrail wasn't there because the guardrail is designed to minimize damage. Now, here's, here's where this ties into cooking eggs, right? Is because the road isn't the only place we need guardrails. Some of you are like, after your story, Chris, I think you need like, someone to follow you around like 24-7, look after you, right? But the road isn't the only place that we need guardrails. And if we're not careful in life, we, we just make one decision after another decision after another decision, and it all seems logical, right? It all seems logical along the way, but then you end up hopefully not cooking eggs in your bathroom, hopefully, although I, it would be cool if someone else had got there. But, but we need these guardrails in different areas of our lives, or else we end up in places that, that we didn't want to be. In fact, th think about this. Um, don't think about it too long, because it might be a little bit painful for some of you, but... If you were to think about the greatest regrets that you have in your life, chances are you could have avoided your greatest regrets if you had some guardrails up. And maybe if you had some guardrails up like morally um, or relationally, maybe if you had some guardrails up professionally at work, uh, maybe if you had some guardrails up financially, you could have avoided uh, some of the biggest regrets of your life. And, and here's, here's the good news, right? Because all of us have regrets in our life. All of us, regardless of where we sit on faith, have regrets. Here's the good news, right? And why, we need, why we're going to talk about this for a few weeks is because you can avoid future regrets if you establish guardrails now. Sure, we've, we've all got regrets and we really can't do much about it in the past, but you can actually, um, your future regrets can be avoided if you establish guardrails now. And regardless of where you sit on faith, whether you don't want to have anything to do with God, whether you've been a Christian your whole life, whether you're just kind of exploring it, all of us, all of us want to try and minimize the regrets that we'll experience in the future, don't we? Here's the problem. <coughs> Here's the problem with guardrails, though, is um, our culture doesn't really encourage guardrails. In fact, the moment that, that you begin to put some, some guardrails up in your life, I'll just let you know up front at the top of this conversation, um, people will start to like look at you and they'll start to ask questions like, oh, why, why are you doing that? Or why, why are you thinking this way? Why are you behaving this way? And pe people will secretly, when they get away, they'll like admire it and they'll be like, hey, it's kind of cool. I wouldn't want to do it myself, but it's kind of noble that they're doing this. But our culture doesn't really encourage guardrails. In fact, as a culture as a whole, we, we don't really like rules. Right, we don't really like being told what to do. We're much more comfortable with like guidelines 
or you know, we're, we're much more comfortable with like, you know what, we don't, we don't really need a guard, right? Let's just, let's just paint a line on the ground and like hope, you know, that you know, if someone goes over it, well, that, they can choose to go over it or not. It's not, it's not really that big of a deal. In fact, in, there are some areas in culture where we'll actually like go where there are guardrails, remove the guardrails, because who needs guardrails, right? Our culture, our culture like loves guidelines. And this is not me ripping on culture, okay? I, I promise you it's not. This is just me trying to highlight the point. Um, and I want to I look at a few guidelines that culture has. A few of our guidelines that, that have culture has to just show that, that um, culture as a whole doesn't encourage guardrails. Here's, here's the first um, guideline that culture has. Um, drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. It's a good guideline, right? It sounds, it sounds good. And we, we go around, we're like, hey, you should drink responsibly. It sounds nice. But here's the challenge, right? <coughs> is, is when you consume alcohol, you get to a point where you become intoxicated. And then you're not that responsible. Some of you get irresponsible before you become intoxicated, right? And you get to a point where you're not responsible anymore. When you become irresponsible drinking, it's very hard to all of a sudden, you can't. Like, go back and go, oh, all of a sudden, now I'm responsible and so drink responsibly is not a great guideline because of the activity. A guardrail, a really good guardrail would be don't get drunk. And it would simply be don't get drunk because when you get drunk, you do irresponsible things. Okay, but we, we, don't, want, we don't like guardrails, okay? We, we like guidelines, drink responsibly. Here's another um, guideline that we have in culture. And this guideline um, is, we often say this, you know, maybe to uh, students in high school. We might, you might have heard it when you first started dating, maybe when you got out of high school. Um, and it's around the idea of sex. And when it comes to sex, the cultural guideline for sex, right, is this. Hey, just, just wait until you're ready. Wait until you're ready. You want to know my hot take on this? Um, I, think, I think a woman came up with this. That's not, a, that's not a, a, a knock on women. It's just like that's it's a reasonable guideline, right? Because here, here, imagine you've got a bunch of teenage boys in a room and you said, hey, when do you think you're ready to have sex? They'd be like, we were ready yesterday. Like, why are we waiting so long? We don't need to wait anymore. And so I think some reasonable person, a woman, uh, came along and said, hey, you, we just need to tell them to wait until they're ready. Like, well, we just need to wait until you're ready. Okay? Here's the next one. Consolidate your debts, this guideline. Now, this is, this is a good, good piece of advice, you know, helpful piece of advice. Hey, if you've got some debts, consolidate them, put them all together, try and pay them down. The, the problem is um, a guardrail would stop you and prevent you from getting to a point where you are in so much debt you need to consolidate them. This is a good guideline if you get yourself into debt, but it's not a good guardrail to prevent you from getting into debt. But we, we don't like to talk about that a whole bunch in culture, hey. Here's a la this is the last guideline, right? And this is, my, this is my most hated piece of advice ever, okay? If someone just, like, gives you this piece of advice, it, this should be a major, major, major red flag. You should run away from whoever's giving you this piece of advice because I just think it sucks. Here it is. Listen to your heart. Ah, oh, listen to your heart. Doesn't it sound nice? Listen to your heart. And here's, here's what I would say, right? And here's why I think this advice sucks. I think it sucks for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons I, I think it sucks is um, because of what I do being a pastor and because I get to hang out with people and spend a lot of time with people, I unfortunately get to see the other side of relationships and marriages break down. And do you know the people that I've talked to that listen to their heart and then three months later, their heart told them they should do something different? And they realized that maybe they weren't listening to their heart after all. But by that point in time, it, it was too late to repair the damage. It was too late to repair 
the marriage. In fact, here, let's, let's just be honest, right? Because we're in church and you should be honest when you're in church, right? Um, oftentimes when we say, listen to your heart and we, we kind of tell it to ourselves, often what we're doing is we're just justifying our morally shady decisions, aren't we? Come on, aren't we? When we're like, oh, you just got to listen to your heart. We, we know what we're doing is it's, it's, a, it's starting, it's going to be borderline anyway. It's probably like morally shady, but we're like, oh, look, I'm just justifying this and I'm giving it the green light by saying, hey, listen, I listened to my heart. What, what else was I supposed to do? Now, again, like with, with these guidelines, um, I, I, get, I get why culture would have guidelines, right? Because um, I don't like being told no. And maybe you're like me, maybe you don't like it when someone tells you no. And as, as a culture, if, if we are culture, like that means that we don't like being told no. But here's like the weird kind of paradox in this whole thing, right? Here's the weird paradox. He's like, while culture doesn't encourage guardrails, here's the weird part, it shames and mocks us when we end up in a ditch. H- have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? It's kind of like when it comes to guardrails, it's like in, a, in relationships, it's like, ah, it's kind of like, play it however you want to play it, you know, you do you, and then all of a sudden, someone runs away with the yoga instructor, and it's like, oh, home wrecker. Oh, I can't, can't believe that they would leave their family like that. Or, <laughs> random, yeah, well, you know, it happens more than you think. Anyway, uh <laughs> or maybe, maybe financially, maybe financially, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, hey, afterpay, Hey, get all the debts. Hey, get them, get, you know, pay as much as you want. Get this stuff now. Don't wait till you've got money in the bank. You should just after pay it right now. And then what happens? You get in a whole bunch of debt. And then people turn around. And people say, oh, well, they can't be trusted because they can't manage their money. They can't manage the stuff they've got. What, why should we give them any more responsibility? And on the one hand, culture's like, oh, we don't need guardrails. But then it shames and it mocks us when we um, end up in a ditch. And here's, here's what I'm driving at, okay? Here's, here's the point that I want to set up tonight. Is that if you opt for guardrails, you will not be celebrated. But you will have fewer regrets. No one's going to look at you when you set up guardrails. No one's going to be like, oh, that's so awesome. That's, that's so wise. That's so good. No one's going to do that. But you will have fewer regrets. And I, I don't know about you. I'm just speaking for me here. I would rather kind of fly under the radar in life and have... Uh, have a, a, a handful of regrets than be celebrated everywhere and have like bag- bags and bags and bags of regrets. Now, here's the good news is that I didn't come up with guardrails and that's probably a good thing for you because you don't want the guy cooking eggs in his bathroom to be the guy who came up with this idea, right? Guardrails have been a thing for, well, they've been a thing for millennia. In fact, you could trace them back in, um, in Christian thought all the way back to the Hebrew Bible, which um, Jesus' followers called the Old Testament. And the, the Jewish people, the nation, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel, they were really, really great at setting up boundaries. In fact, probably like too good. They set up too many guidelines and too many boundaries. Um, but then Jesus enters history and Jesus kind of like helps redefine this idea of guardrails. Jesus gives us some healthier handles on it. And then um, when Jesus, after Jesus' death and resurrection, a first century um, church planter called Paul started planting all these churches around the Mediterranean Rim and explaining and kind of telling Jesus' followers um, about this idea of guardrails. And Paul planted this church in the city of Ephesus. And here's what you need to know about um, what Paul did in the city of Ephesus. Uh, Firstly, we kind of have an idea in our mind about like, oh yeah, like I kind of heard about church or like I kind of might know the idea of what a church is or what a pastor does, maybe. Um, But in the first century, there was no such thing as a local church. So Paul was not just going into Ephesus, starting another church. Paul was starting the first ever church in the city of Ephesus. 
Nobody in Ephesus had heard about Jesus. Nobody knew the teachings of Jesus. And Paul started the first ever church. And so Paul had to teach a whole bunch of things uh, to people to help them understand who Jesus was. And it gets to this point where Paul's kind of built this church up. It would, have, it would have only been about 50 or 100 people, probably actually the same size of Beyond if you took our, like, two, our 10 a.m. and our 6 p.m. service, so around about the size of Beyond. And Paul had built it up. He'd put some leaders in place, and then Paul went off planting other churches. And he would mentor the leadership from afar, and he would write letters to them. And Paul um, wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. In fact, um, if you are someone who struggles with identity or you've got questions about identity, regardless of where you sit on faith, I think you should read Paul's letter to the Ephesians because it is one of the most profoundly inspiring and challenging pieces of literature on, um, on identity that you can get. But Paul kind of talks to them about identity. And if you're a Jesus follower, you should just read it anyway. Um, if you're like tr- struggling, if you're a Jesus follower who struggles with identity, you should read it and you should remind yourself um, about what it means to be a Jesus follower and where your identity sits. It, it'll, it'll take you like 30, 35 minutes to get through it. It's only six chapters. So Paul's writing to this group of people, and he's talking about identity, and there's this one part in the letter where he's talking about kind of behaviors that are associated with identity. And he talks about things that, you know, like that if you follow these behaviors for long enough, you'll end up off the road, you'll end up in a ditch, and they're kind of like, you know, the the standard laundry list of things that you'd expect, you know, greed and lying and stealing and cheating and all that sort of stuff. And then he kind of gets to this part where the people are like, great, Paul, Um, we know all this stuff we we, we don't want to get involved and we know like where we don't want to be how do we stay on the road what how do we put some guardrails up in our lives and this is how paul answers that question this is where we're going to jump into the conversation tonight he says this he says so be careful how you live and this um this little greek word it would have been greek because paul didn't write this document in, in english he wrote it in greek he said so be careful how you walk this word here is um is it's talking about walking like it's, it's like hey be very careful where you step Right? It's kind of like if you have a big dog with a small yard, a small backyard, you've got to be careful where you like, are moving in the backyard. Right? Um, I don't, my wife and I, we don't have a dog. My brother um, and his wife, they do have a dog. And I forget about it every single time I go over there. And so I'm running around and I just hear, watch your step, like watch out. And it's like, oh yeah, right, there's stuff you don't want to be stepping in in this backyard. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, hey, if, if you're not careful where you walk in life, you could step in something that you will regret. And then he goes on. He goes, don't live like fools, but those who are, but like those who are wise. And this kind of like fools didn't mean the same thing in the first century as it does today. It, it literally meant just like, don't live like someone who's unwise, um, but those who are wise. And really, really what Paul is driving at here with this thought is, is effectively what I would say is the decision-making template for the entire New Testament. See, one of the frustrating things about Jesus and when, is when Jesus entered history, he very, very rarely talked about what was right and what was wrong. But he often talked about what was wise. In fact, you, if you've hung, uh, hung around beyond for any amount of time, uh, you would have heard if you use this question. If not, you can um, steal this for the first time. Often, really, the decision-making template of the New Testament is this, what's the wise thing to do? Because this question, hey, what's the wise thing to do? It gives clarity to nearly every situation. You could ask, like, hey, what's the right thing to do, or what's the wrong thing to do, or what's the legal thing to do, or the illegal thing to do? But here's the thing, you know this, you can do the legal thing, and it still be incredibly unwise for you to do. And so Paul says, hey, you need to live really wisely. You need to take, you know, look where you're stepping, live wisely. And then he says this, make the most of every opportunity. And this here literally means, hey, wh- what I want you to do is I want you to redeem the time that you have in this life. And, and just 
to kind of give you a, an example of this is when, when I spoke at the top of the message about regrets, some of you are probably still thinking about some of those regrets. And what the thing that you're thinking is, hey, I, I wish I could go back to that relationship and I wish I could just like get the time back I invested. Or, or I wish I could go back to that job or that uni degree I studied and I wish I, I wish I could just get the time back. I wish I could reinvest it somewhere. I wish, I wish I could take time maybe that I spent somewhere else and then I wish I could reallocate it to someone else. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying time is the only thing we have in our lives that is a limited resource. And so we need to make the most of the time that we have. And then he says this, for the in, uh, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, that's just the Christians being a weird Christian. No, okay, this was the first century. Paul was not trying to be weird. Here's what Paul was trying to get at. You know when you first learn to drive your car, and um, whoever taught you, whether it was your parents or your grandparents, your auntie or your uncle or your driving instructor, one piece of advice that we all got, right, when we first learned to drive our car at some point along the journey was, hey, you've got to look out for the other drivers, right? It's, here's the biggest challenge when driving. It's not you. It's all the other idiots on the road you've got to drive for, okay? Maybe that's just what my mom and dad said, okay? But you've got to look out for the other drivers. And this is what Paul is saying. Hey, if you want to live carefully, it's not just about getting really, really insular and focusing on yourself, but it's also understanding that life is this interconnected web of relationships. And so you're going to have to be aware of the friendships you have. You're going to need to be aware of the relationships you have. You're going to need to be aware of what, it, you know, what the um, emotional climate is like in your workplace. And then he says this. He says, don't act thoughtlessly. Because if you're thinking about this, if you're understanding that life is all interconnected, you won't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, uh, if you're not a Jesus follower, rather, you're like, I don't really care to understand what God wants me to do. I totally get that. So if, you're a Jesus, if you are a Jesus follower, so many people I talk to are like, hey, Chris, how do I understand what God wants me to do? How do I understand the will of God? And Paul is really kind of confusingly brilliant here. Because this Greek word that he would use to understand is kind of like an imperative. It's kind of like a command. And so you'd kind of like go, go to Paul and be like, hey, Paul, how do I understand what God wants me to do? And he, Paul's like, understand. Not helpful. Not help. I get you commanding me to understand. I get I should understand. But, but what, are you, what are you driving at? And here's the brilliance of what Paul's saying here. Because he kind of highlights and he goes, look, some of you kind of make this all mystical. Some of you are like, oh, i got to understand what God's will is. i got to understand this special plan that God has for me. Paul goes, no, come on, come on, let's be honest. When you get in a mirror, and you look at yourself in the mirror, or when you get all alone, you know the areas of your life that God wants you to pay attention to. You know the areas of your life that you're not giving enough ten uh, attention, or the relationships. You know the behaviors. You know the habits. That, aren't, that don't point people to Jesus. And Paul would say, you don't, you don't need some special magical plan. You already know. You just need to get still enough to understand it. You just need to get still enough to bring it front and center and begin to address it instead of putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Paul would say, you already know. And then he gives a really practical example. Okay, And again, this is an example. It's an example of all he's been talking about. Hey, if you want to live with some guardrails, Here's a way of how to do it. And this verse has been kind of, the sequence has been taken out and used in all sorts of weird ways and, and ways that like, you know, Christians have made it mean something it's not. So I'm kind of glad we're talking about it. But remember, 
This is just one example. Paul could have picked a whole bunch, but one example to kind of drive home this idea of guardrails. Here's, what he, here's how he starts his example. He says, don't get drunk on wine, right? And if you've been zoning out, you should tune back in because we're talking about wine um, and getting drunk on it. And so Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. And here's why he says this. Because in the first century, drinking wine was safer than drinking water. Okay, in the first century, they didn't really understand bacteria. And so they stored their wine in these big, like, empty bodies, that where th- sorry, the water, in these big empty bodies where it would stay still. And you know what happens when water stays still? It gets bacteria in it. And so what they would do is, because they didn't understand it, is they would drink it, the water, and they would get sick. And sometimes they would die. But whenever they drank wine, they didn't get sick and they didn't die. So what they would do is they would make watered-down wine because then they could drink the water and they could drink the wine and they wouldn't get sick and it would be okay. And Paul had nothing to do with, hey, he's, he's not saying, hey, don't, don't drink wine. He's like, hey, no, no, don't get drunk on wine. And here's why. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to, which leads to. Now, let's just, just for fun, let's just take out the wine part. And, and let's just say Paul said, don't get drunk, which leads to. What would it lead to for you? What does it lead to for you? Because Paul's not getting annoyed at you. Paul's not saying, hey, don't get drunk. Paul's saying, no, 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 it's the stuff it leads to. Or for the people in your life, what what does it lead to? What kind of behaviors does it lead to? And maybe for some of you, when you think about this, you're not thinking about yourself. Maybe for you, what you think about is you think, well, if if my mom or my dad, my grandparents or my carer, if, if they hadn't got drunk, my life would be so much different right now. For sure, their life would be different, right? For sure, their life would be different. But yours would be different as well. And it's not because they got drunk. It's what getting drunk led to. And this is the last thing, because we don't really, this is not a message on, like, getting drunk, right? Um, (coughs) But we don't go here that often. So I just wanted to say one more thing while we're on this topic. If more than one person has told you you drink too much, you do awkwardly quiet we'll just keep going so paul says do not get drunk on what line leads leads to and here's let me let me just be honest with you i wish paul had chosen a different example i wish he had chosen a different example because in aussie culture right in aussie culture we're kind of like oh paul come on man chill out like it's only a drink it's only a few beers i was just hanging out with mates it's not a big deal paul it's not that big of a deal and paul was saying "No, no no it's not the drinking that's the big deal It's not the drinking that's the big deal. It's what it leads to. And here's the thing. And I'm going to get serious again for a second. It's all fun and games, isn't it? It's all fun and games until it leads to someone getting coward punched. It's all fun and games until it ends up getting someone getting drunk behind the wheel and swerving into oncoming traffic. It's all fun and games until someone gets drunk, which leads to someone going home and taking fists to their partner. And Paul said, it's not getting drunk that's the issue, it's what it leads to. And what it leads to, Paul would say, is debauchery. And I just can't help think of pirates every time this word comes out. But really, really what it means is is this idea of losing self-control or handing over control of yourself to someone else. In fact, what Paul might say it this way, that guardrails safeguard us from handing over control of our lives to someone or something else. Guardrails prevent you at any point in time, handing over control, not just with alcohol, financially, relationally, emotionally, handing over control of your life to something or someone else. 
And then in his, in his final sentence on this, on this idea, Paul um, speaks directly to the Jesus followers. And, and right, kind of up until this point, e- even if you're not a Jesus follower, like you could take this information, you could run with it, you could apply it to your life, it would be helpful for you. But now Paul says, hey, hey if you're a Jesus follower, and he leverages this idea, he leverages this idea that he believes, like uh, if you're a Jesus follower, you believe that God entered history. God entered history through Jesus, and Jesus leveraged his life on a cross to free us and restore our relationship with God by paying the penalty for our sins. And so Paul says, hey, as a result of that, instead of living without guardrails, if you're a Jesus follower, instead, instead, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of weird and mysterious things that Christians believe, but Jesus followers believe that one of the mysterious things we believe is that when you become a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit, in some mysterious way, begins to take up residence or begins to live inside of you. Some Christians say, hey, he lives in your heart, which, again, I don't think that helps the weirdness of it. It's still a little bit weird. But here's the thing, is the Holy Spirit, like, makes itself known in unweird ways, like in really applicable ways. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit makes itself known is, um, and for those of you who maybe became Jesus followers later in life, what, uh, the way that the Holy Spirit made itself known is it would start to ding your conscience on things that in the past never used to be a big deal to you. You never used to think twice about it. But then you became a Jesus follower and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like dinging your conscience. Standing there, it's like, <coughs> excuse me, the Holy Spirit's kind of like that person at the door. It's like, <coughs> do you need to send that text? <coughs> What's sending that email doing? <coughs> do, do you really need to have one more drink and that's what paul is telling us if you're a jesus follower hey you should be you should listen to the nudgings and the promptings of the holy spirit so let's really quickly just really quickly put together what paul said he said this he said so be careful how you live don't live like fools but those who are wise don't act thoughtlessly but understand what the lord wants you to do do not get drunk on wine right because of what it leads to again if if you went up to Paul and said, hey, Paul is drinking a sin, he would be like, it's foolish at best because of what it leads to, debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to come back to this verse over the next four weeks. We're going to come back to it and we're going to circle around it for a number of weeks. And, and the reason we're going to do it is because I know that nobody sets out in life with a goal to just end up in a ditch. Right? You don't set out in life to end up wrecking your life relationally or financially or emotionally or any of those ways. Here's the thing though, most of us just don't plan not to. Most of us don't have a plan for how we're going to avoid the ditch. We just hope we don't. Guardrails are how you plan not to. And so over the next couple of weeks, Riley's actually going to be back next week and he's going to talk about how you can have some guardrails around your heart. Uh, then in part three, I am I'm so excited for part three. I cannot wait for you to meet Alison, Alison Willis. Um, Alison's going to be coming down from the Sunshine Coast, and she's going to be talking about how you can have some guardrails um, in relationships and with friendships, um, and how you can build some resilience in um, guardrails there. And then in part four, I'm going to be coming back, and I'm going to wrap this series up by talking about something that we don't talk about enough, and we don't really like to talk about, but if you don't get this one thing right, it has the potential to just wreck so many areas of your life. But here's what I want you to do this week. Here's what I want you to do as we wrap up tonight. I just want you to ask this question. Where do you need to start? For you. What's that area of your life? Or what's that thing of your life? You know that thing that you're like, oh, I'll get to it one day. I'll think about it one day. I'll address it one day. One day I'll get to it. What's that thing that maybe at this moment, God is just kind of nudging you. And God's kind of tapping you and saying, hey, it's time to bring that thing front 
and center and start with that. And if you figure out where you need to start, we'll pick up here next week in part two of guardrails. But I'd love to pray as we wrap up. Heavenly Father, we just, um, we know that it can be challenging because we want to put things off and and putting guardrails in place in our lives can be hard. People will look at us and it's not really celebrated. And so, um, Jesus, I just pray that this week that we would follow that prompting that you've given us, that we wouldn't put it off any longer. And that in doing so, that we would um, experience less regrets in our life. And I pray for people in this room who who aren't Jesus followers, who, who aren't even really sure if you're out there. I just pray that they try it. What have they got to lose? And, and I just pray that in doing it, maybe that you would reveal yourself to them, that you give them a glimpse of who you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening. And hey, if you live in the Griffin, Marumba Downs, North Lakes, or Moreton Bay region, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend environments. You can find out more by heading to our website, beyondchurch.com.au. You'll find directions, service times, and what you can expect, as well as information on our Upstreet Kids Club, which is our primary school-aged environment, and Infinity Youth, our high school-aged environment. That website, beyondchurch.com.au.